Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info capitalchurch.co. Praise God. Who was that guy up there? Jeez. Wow. That was a week ago. That was a return. I'm, uh, can I just tell you some stories and uh, give you a history? I want to give you a history of, where, uh, of how that came about. And hopefully it'll, it'll bring some uh, clarity to you. Father, we just pray for an anointing upon the word now. We pray that our hearts would be stirred, our minds would be open, and you would uh, move in us in a way we've never seen before. We are in a new season, in a new season of great grace, great movement of the Holy Spirit, and a season of awakening. We declare it, prophesy it, and speak it into existence now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to explain something to you. I'm going to give you history here uh, because that just didn't come out of anywhere or just nowhere. It came from years of, uh, of sowing and planting. Over the course of the last few weeks, the Lord has been speaking to me about three or four different scriptures. Ezekiel 22.30 says, I look for a man to make up the wall and build a, build a hedge, but I couldn't find one. The, the saddest scripture in the Bible. And God had to give judgment. God is looking for a man, a woman, a person to stand in the gap for nations, for individuals, for communities. Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, what I read on the screen as in the, during the prayer, says, if my people, the, the problem in America is not the evil. The problem in America is the church. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to hear, I'm going to forgive their sin and heal their land. That is what we were doing. That was a sacred, solemn assembly that we are participating in one week ago. And then in Joel chapter 2, if you want to read an incredible scripture, go to Joel chapter 2. You will see what happens to a land that does not honor God, but what happens when the people return to God with great blessing and fruitfulness and encouragement. I believe, and I'm going to tell you in just a few minutes, I'm going to, I believe we are in a new season, a new opportunity. A door has been opened for the church in America. And they sat there quietly. Forty years ago, 1980, Connie and I went to Washington, D.C., we attended a gathering of Christians on the mall, the first that had ever taken place. It was called Washington for Jesus. At that time, Connie was pregnant with Tracy. Tracy actually went to Washington before she was born. And we went to help shift our nation. I was 30 years old at the time. I had a heart for America. I'd been teaching about spiritual heritage of America, and I began to have revelation of how God birthed this land. It was my first visit to D.C., 
We were so involved that our church in Portland, Oregon at the time, a large church, we chartered two planes from Portland, Oregon to fly to Washington, D.C. Almost 500 people from our church. John Jimenez, a pastor from Virginia Beach, was the hosting and driving element for this event. He and his wife, Ann, have since passed away. David Chalk, a close friend of Connie and I, from Long Beach, California, on that day in uh, April of 1980, we arrived and the, the rain was starting to fall and there were dark clouds and it looks like a bad day to have a, a meeting, particularly a spiritual meeting on the mall. David Chalk, who was a prophet, in fact, he actually prophesied the fall of the Berlin Wall two months before it happened. But David got up and he spoke to the weather. We all lifted our hands and, and I remember it clearly. I closed my eyes, lifted my hands and we agreed with him that God would rebuke the weather and as soon as he said it, the sun broke out. I felt it on my hand as I lifted up. And all that day, all that day, there was complete clearness or uh, the, the heavens opened up every place else around D.C. it rained. We actually, there were several of us in Washington, D.C. this last week that were at that 1980 Washington for Jesus, and we all described together what happened. It was an incredible miracle. We prayed. We sought God. We asked him to come and help. God moved. 1983, I'm giving you a history lesson here, people. Follow me. If you don't understand history, you won't understand your destiny. You didn't hear what I said you got to understand history to understand where you're going with your destiny. I'm speaking to you as a house of God at Capitol Church. 1983, God spoke to Connie and I about coming to, to a Boise and planting a church. We did this with, with our three little kids, and we planted the church of 25 people. We started in Meridian, then we moved into Boise, moved back to Meridian to establish the church here. But in 1983, and this church was planted on the power of prayer. That's the reason why you're here today, because someone prayed. 1988 comes. Another Washington for Jesus. Once again, John Jimenez hosted it. We returned to D.C. and got, sought God and prayed that he would move again on the land. And this event continued to move our hearts for our nation. Once again, John Jimenez was the key individual Shortly after that, and during the occurring years after that, we had a woman come into our church named Helen Shenoweth. She became a leader in the house, and if you remember the story, those of you who are old enough to remember, uh, she came to me one day and said, Pastor Ken, I think I'm supposed to run for Congress. And we prayed, and we sought God together, asked him for wisdom. And God led her to run for office, and she miraculously was voted into office in 1994. Then she started dragging our church back to Washington with her, literally. We, we sent prayer teams to D.C. to support her and aid her and help influence the nation for spiritual life. It was 1994. She started in 1995. And there, that started a, a concerted effort to pray for our leaders. 
And over that time period, we began to see the need for America to once again bow, the, bow her knee and call upon God. 1997. October 4th, 1997. 23 years ago today. The Promise Keeper event occurred. Probably the largest event ever held in the mall, on the mall. Over one million men were there to pray. On that Sunday before the event, the USA Today paper came out. And on the front page was your lead pastor, Chris Wilde, with his hands raised, praising God in a Promise Keeper event. I'm trying to give you a, a, a feel and a, a sense of, the, of history here. We were heavily involved in praying for that and, and supporting that event in Washington, D.C. In 1999, God led us to, spoke to us to actually buy a building in D.C. and have a place to support teams that would come in there. In June of 2000, with the help of some close friends and the giving of hundreds of intercessors across the, uh, America, we were able to purchase a house at 137 C Street Southeast, just a half a block from the house office buildings. We started hosting teams from that location from that time on. In fact, the first hosted event was around 80 people who were the leaders of the call. The call is the next event. It occurred in July of 2000. We hosted the leaders there. We prayed it was the first event in our house. We had no chairs, we had no furniture. We stood and prayed, and God began to move. The call was, was called by a friend of mine, Lou Engel. Uh, if you've ever seen Lou Engel, heard Lou Engel, he's an animal for prayer. He will start praying and he'll start rocking. And he, uh, he has led, I don't know how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in prayer, and he was called upon by God to stir up the nation to come to D.C. and hold a prayer meeting. I was a part of the planning of that event. Over 400,000 young people showed up. 2,000. From 2000 to 2015, we hosted and led hundreds of intercessors and teams that would come to D.C. to pray for their leaders at the National Prayer Center. This was an outreach ministry of this church. Prayers who were here before you prayed this into being. On September 11th, 2001, we were in Washington, D.C. when the plane hit the Pentagon. We heard the explosion. It was the most surreal day of probably Connie and I's life. As we watched TV and we watched everything happening, we watched thousands of people come out of the government office buildings scared to death. We offered water and prayer. People came from all over the city. They gathered in the prayer center. In fact, CBN sent a, a video crew, and they joined with us, with other senators and congressmen in the, in the prayer centers. We prayed for America. I remember going during that time. We, one day, uh, I think it was uh, Wednesday or Thursday, the, the attack happened on Tuesday, I think it was, and on Thursday or so, there was a gathering around the, the reflecting pool in front of the Capitol. It was, it was uh, spontaneous. People came with their Bible, a flag, and a candle. 
And they all gathered around that pool. You ever seen the pictures of them all? They gathered around the pool. They began to sing hymns and patriotic songs. All of a sudden, at the right hand, would be God Bless America. Then over here, Amazing Grace. All the way around that, that reflecting pool, there was a sense of God's, of, of our nation's need for God at that point. We began to pray and seek God. We approached, we had been approaching Congress for, for years to allow us to have a sacred, solemn assembly that the, that the leaders would lead. Finally, on December 4th, 2001, two men who were friends of mine, Senator Sam Brownback from Kansas and Congressman Tom DeLay from Texas, called a meeting in the rotunda of the House in which 250 congressmen, that would be representatives and senators, came to be a part of. They came to pray, to repent, and seek favor for America. That was December 4th, 2001. On that day, there were about 20 of us underneath the prayer meeting downstairs. We were praying, calling on God to minister to our leaders. They didn't allow anybody upstairs except for the two chaplains and the congressmen and senators. As we prayed, we felt God begin to do something. I remember Lloyd Ogilvie said this, who called this meeting? And rhetorically he said, God did. All of a sudden, for two hours, they prayed. They saw it. they only had a, a kneeling bench, some chairs and a kneeling bench. They would come to the kneeling bench where a, where a microphone was, and they would pray and ask God for, for, for mercy. You'd be shocked who was there. As we came up afterwards, we came up into the room after they had left. Uh, Sam Brownback, our senator friend, who is now the ambassador for religious freedom for the uh, for President Trump, I get texts from him daily. Pray for this, pray for this, pray for this. I'm on his prayer team. Connie's on his prayer team. And so what we, what we uh, did, we came up in the rotunda, I'll never forget it. It felt like heaven had come down. And we were so enraptured, we began to sing and worship songs of praise and adoration. I just felt the glory of God. And listen, if even if you can't sing, you do really well in the rotunda. <laughs> Just something about it. Then an intercessor came to us and said, uh, oh, by the way, do you know what happened in December 4th, 1801, 200 years previous? She had just researched it, and she had just found out that 200 years ago, that day was the first church service in the capital. Beginning in 1801, the Capitol was the site of the largest church in America. Most people don't know that. In fact, they, would, they had church services all over the government buildings. They had them in Capitol, Capitol Hill in the Capitol. They had them in the Treasury Department over by the White House. They had them everywhere. They, were, they would go by horse. They would, in, in the, and uh, history, historians say that Thomas Jefferson would take his horse and go to each service one at a time. We continued believing that those solemn assemblies would cause America to come back to him. I believe that's the reason we had no more attacks on America. For there was a prophetic word that a second attack would come. 
But we called on God, and I believe he answered us. All these years go by, we continue to host teams in Washington. Then in 2000, I believe it was 17, Connie and I had the privilege to go to the Cove, which is the retreat center for Billy Graham. It's in North Carolina, just outside Asheville. We went there, and a man and his wife, who we'd never met before, Kevin Jessup, who had a heart for America, believing that God wanted to once again come and move in our land. We shared with him our, our desire to see sacred assemblies come. Tom Smith, the man you saw in the, in the video with me, we shared with him what God had done over the last uh, 30, 40 years. And we said, we believe God wants to do it again, to bring, bring believers together, bring leaders together, and a call on God and simply pray and repent. Last year, a year ago, previous to last Saturday, a team got together after Kevin Jessup and Jonathan Kahn came together, two pastors, and decided we want to do an event, a sacred assembly called The Return. They selected the date, which was the day before Rosh Hashanah. They didn't realize that that date in the Jewish calendar actually means the return. Last Saturday, it occurred. You saw part of it on the screen. From 9 o'clock in the morning until 8 o'clock at night, people prayed, sought God, worshipped, and we called on God to save America. I was asked to pray from the stage. I did that. I remember getting up on, the, on there and there were all kinds of people. We had all kinds of congressmen and senators and leaders and prayers. And it was an amazing event, event filled with righteous leaders, prayer and repentance. That's all it was. We were not calling on God to do certain political things or, or uh, honor certain policies or uh, promote certain ministries. That had nothing to do with it. It was just call on God, pray and repent. And when I was praying, and afterwards, there was a tent behind the, the, the stage that we gathered together and we would pray and prepare to go. I felt a shift. I felt something happen. Now, we've been there for 40 years. We've been praying, believing, calling on God, calling other people to come, holding solemn assemblies, holding meetings, going in to pray for our leaders. And on this day, September 26, 2020, I felt a shift. My guess as to how many are there, because I've been to all these things, my guess is that 200,000 people came for the return and 200,000 people came with Franklin Graham to pray with him. These two events, interestingly enough, they didn't know each other was, were calling this event. They both came at the same time on September 26th. Franklin Graham gathered a team of prayers, two, I believe it was 200,000 approximately. They started the Capitol and they walked down the mall, stopping at seven different locations to pray as they went to the Capitol. At about 2.30 or 3 in the afternoon, I was, I was exhausted after praying and after doing things in, in the return. I came out to take a break and we came out the, the gate behind the, behind the platform and there was a a river of people moving from the Washington Monument towards the Capitol. It was Franklin Graham's team. 
It was, it was like a river. I got lost in it. We could hardly find our way as thousands of people were, were uh, walking to pray and seek God. My guess, again, is I think there were 400,000 people there last Saturday. The date had been chosen a year earlier. And I believe God started to do something all through the day. Things began, the momentum built until about 5 o'clock. Just before 5 o'clock, Jonathan Kahn had the shofars play. The shofars are Israeli trumpets. They're ram's horns. And they began to blow at 5 o'clock on the nose. Now, I have, I have people that, that were watching. I was not watching the TV part of it. I was watching the, the return. As soon as they were done blowing the shofars, within seconds, President Trump came on TV and he announced his, his nominee for the Supreme Court. Immediately. It was like they blew and he came. He announced the, uh, the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett as his nominee for the Supreme Court. She's a devout Christian. In fact, charismatic. She's been vilified by the press because she's too devout. How can you get too devout? She has seven children, two adopted, one special needs. She has a heart for, for God and, and the nation. At that point, amazingly enough, I was introduced to a man who was the senior counsel for the Senate Judiciary Committee. In other words, this is the guy that helps make the judges and the nominees who come from the executive branch go through the legislative branch. He came to me and we had, he, he, he needed prayer. So we started praying for him and prophesying over him and calling on God to, to move in his life. And he told us personally, he said, she's probably the most qualified and best nominee we've ever had. And then he said, uh, and there's another one we'd like in too. She's even younger and she's in the fourth district in North Carolina. And he began to tell us these things so we could pray and ask God to move, to shift, to make things happen. We prayed for him. I have his card. We're continuing our prayer for him, believing that God is going to do something powerful. Can I just tell you, God is moving. You know, you, would, you, would, uh, you might say, well, Pastor Ken, that's just a, those are all just coincidences. Boy, if you think that's coincidences, you need your head examined. Or you need your heart examined. God doesn't make coincidences. He's set things. Now, I'm trying to explain something. Over the history of this house, God started using this house to help pray for a national revival and national leaders. And now we hear 40 years later. 40 years. And this house has been appointed by God to help pray for this to occur. This just isn't an election year. This is an awakening year. You need to take off your political glasses and put on your spiritual glasses. Too many times, many of you have grown up with politics in your life and you got to stop thinking the way you're, I don't have time to tell you that. You need to listen to my radio program. I can't tell you everything today. 
But I am telling you, you need to put on your spiritual glasses because I'm telling you as a, as a prophetic, uh, a, 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 apostolic person that something is going on and God is at work. He's been doing it for years. And this house is a part of it. 40 years from right now, God began to take us to D.C. 40 years means new life, new growth, transformation, a change from one great task to another great task. This is, this is biblical numerology. I looked it up. It means repentance. It means newness. It means preparation. It means self-examination, transformation, task fulfillment. It means escape from bondage or slavery. It means new generation and new life. That's what God is attempting to do in these last 40 years. Many of the people that prayed you into those pews and into this church are gone. We just had a, a funeral just a few weeks ago for Harold Johnson, who he and his wife, Margie, were one of our charter members, and they, kept, they, they have prayed for you for years. And we, we you, see, you're here not just because you're so smart. You're here because God called you. Places you in a place to get ready for his move and what he's doing. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you in this room are under 40 years of age? Can I see your hand? You're under 40 years of age. Well, I want you to stand to your feet. I want, I want you to watch this. Stand to your feet. If you're under 40, if you're under 40, under 40, you can, you can stand. If you're 40, you can stand up for this group or the next group. Okay, Look, let, let, me, let me charge you with something. You were here in the call and the purpose of God. You were here because someone prayed you into this. You are the Esther generation who God is asking to do miracles. It is no accident you're here. God decided to recruit you in this day to be a part of the last great move of God. You are here because of his hand on your life. And right now, I'm, I'm challenging you, I'm asking you, please take the baton and begin to move in the purpose and anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is not an hour to draw back but to press in. I ask you to do that. Now let me pray for you. Father, we just release an anointing. We release the anointing. We release the anointing on each of those, these who are gathered here to, together to, today. Lord, that you would allow them to take the baton of the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be in, in a season of prayer, to be in a season of calling on God, to see the move of God in our day, not just in days past. We pray a release now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Now, first service, it was interesting. Let's see what happens this service. If you're over 40 years of age, would you stand to your feet? 40, stand up right now, you 40-year-olds. Yeah, it's pretty close. First service, it was almost exactly 50%. This is probably a little bit more youthy here in this service. Can I tell you? You're the Mordecai generation. God is asking you right now to, to disciple, mentor, love, and pray for the younger generation that they would actually move into the call of God. It isn't that your time is over. It's kind of just beginning. 
And I'm asking you, I'm asking you to receive what God has for you now, to be prayers, to be those who will say, you know, I've been brought here for such a time as this. I'm gonna do what God has called me to do. I'm not gonna back up. I'm not gonna give up. You need to not grow weary in well-doing. Our time, 40 years passed. I was 30 years old. You can figure out how old I am now. 30 years when I first went there. All those years of praying, believing, planting, and sowing are now bearing fruit. Get ready. Let me pray for you. Father, lift your hands right now. Father, I'm praying there would be anointing upon this generation. It would supersede anything they've felt in past days. Lord, you would grow in them a sense of your presence and a sense and a recognizance of what you're doing. Let them recognize it, let them discern it, and let us Holy Ghost anointing emanate from heaven coming down to us that we would see clearly. I pray our eyes would be open and our ears clear to hear. Do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now I said something, I said... If you don't know your history, you probably won't move into your destiny. As I, as I talked about the history, I realized something. So many times we, we move through life and we don't realize what's happening around us. We, the Bible says don't despise the day of small beginnings. It, Jesus came in, in Luke 19, 44, and he warned the children of Israel. He says, uh, you didn't see me at the time of visitation. You didn't discern it was your visitation. And he warned them. So many times we can't see God working. And we don't appreciate the work of God around us. And what has gone on before us to get us here. You have been chosen for this generation. You've been recruited by God. But we're deadened by distractions and and life, and we're not discerning, and we don't understand the, the complexity and the grace of God that's moving around us. The men of Issachar, it was said, knew the times and seasons. We need to be like the men of Issachar. God is working over time with generations, and we need to accept that. Prayers and advancement over time have yielded fruit. Do you know prayers don't die? The prayers of those who have been in this church over time continue to be let, put in, the, in the, the, the cup of blessing. As you pray, you add your prayers to those prayers. And we begin to see God move in a nation. Right now, we need God's hand in this nation. We're quickly sinking. And that's why I believe God is, is doing something. So now we need to ask God for a release of all that has been sown in the spiritual soil of America. God is moving on America now and on your life now to save us. He's warring to save us. We're a war, spiritual war. And I, I said this two weeks ago. I said, Satan needs to destroy America. It's his grand prize. If he does this, all the earth will fall before him. Now let me, uh, let me go back and, and in the next few minutes, I have too many notes here. We'll, we'll get through some of them. In every age, every generation, Satan unleashes a weapon of mass deception. I didn't say mass destruction. I said mass deception. I'm going to speak about that later this month. Heaven is not passive and it's not surprised. God can't be fooled. He only stays, he not only stays ahead of the wiles of the, of the devil, but he, ex, he exploits them for his own purpose. That which was meant for evil, God will turn around for good. 
You need to pray that way every time something bad happens. God is presently, I believe, conducting the most aggressive search for available servants in American history. Oh, you did. He's conducting a search. He's looking. His eyes go throughout all the earth, according to 2 Chronicles. His eyes go throughout all the earth, looking for whose heart is perfect towards him, whose heart is direct. That's why Noah came across his attention. And we see this. He's, he's conducting this, this search. At 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verse 9 and following, it talks about we're a chosen generation, a royal pre- priesthood. I believe God is choosing us right now to do some things we've never thought possible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote some things in, in just a minute. I believe we're in a time of Ezekiel 37 where we are to see the dry bones arise. As far as Ezekiel saw in, in Ezekiel 37, all he saw was bleached bones. In other words, dead bodies everywhere. There was no life there, nothing. And the voice of the Lord thunders in this, this prophetic thing. He says, can these bones live? Can I say, can the church arise? Can America be saved? Well, Ezekiel didn't know how to answer that. He says, uh, only you know, Lord. <laughs> I think I would say it the same way. Then God asked him to do something. He said, prophesy to him. So he's, he's, the scripture says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was noise. And suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet in an exceedingly great army. I believe that's what we need to do today. God's voice is not heard in the land, only his believers are. That's why the battle of the universe is around your tongue. He wants you to prophesy. He wants you to preach. He wants you to testify. He wants you to worship. And as you do that, the heavens begin to to gain clouds and the rain comes. So right now, he's saying, prophesy to the bones of the church. Prophesy to the bones of this nation. Don't don't just say, oh God, we, we, we ask that you do something. No, prophesy, come alive. That's why we sang that song. Koki, you sang it the last night the Sunday before. You know, we got to say, come alive in the name of Jesus. We were actually saying that this morning. We need to do that prophesy. Come on, people. You need to stop, start prophesying to the church. Start, you're the voice of God. Don't be so mealy-mouthed. Don't be so quiet. Come on, don't be so quiet. And I'm not just talking about in church. I'm talking, you need to, when you're in in your car, start prophesying. Prophesy to the church. Come alive. Prophesy to the nation. Come alive. Prophesy to our leaders. Come alive. Prophesy to the breath and everything to them. Holy Spirit would come. When, when, When God says prophesy to the breath, you know what he's actually saying? Prophesy, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. The breath in the in the Bible is always indicative of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Because Israel has no hope. Can I say that? America has no hope. Outside of the hand of God, 
we are destined for total destruction. Listen, why, why do I say that? Because 61 million babies are crying out from the ground. You go to eat. Oh, boy. I, I this. The covenants say this. You go to the covenants in the, Old, in, the, in the Old Testament. There are nine covenants total. And if you go to the Old Testament, you go to the Noahic covenant. You know what the Noahic covenant does? It establishes civil government. The Noahic covenant also says there has to be a life for life. When a life is taken innocently, a life has to be taken by God in judgment. That's why in the second inaugural address, sitting on the side of the Lincoln Memorial, that's what Abraham Lincoln said. He said that 600,000 soldiers were slain by, the, by God to, a, to avail for the 600,000 slaves that had come from Africa. Did you know that? Life for life. If 61 million babies have been killed, there's that many crying out from the ground for justice. The only thing that will avail it and stop it is the repentance of God's people and asking him for mercy. Do, do you hear me? I'm, 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 not trying to get, I'm not trying to get real heavy, but I am. But you have to understand this. In the time of greatest need, God will come out of nowhere. He will come out of nowhere. When everything is past hope, he's the one that restores life. God begins with a secret promise. He begins to promise his people, I've heard it. You've probably heard it too. Amos 3, 7, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Then what happens? God creates a prisoner of hope because we have this hope. I don't know about you, but I have hope in my life, and sometimes I feel like I'm captured by it and a prisoner of it because I'm not sure it's always going to happen. But if God has said it, it will occur in greater measure than I've even understood. So Ezekiel sees the vision of the dry bones restored to life. He's now marked for life. He's separated from normal humanity and life by a promise of God. You are separated from normal humanity and you're captured by the, by the hand of God and life by a promise. And what we do is we carry this inside of us. It's something that is unimaginable but yet undeniable. And if you listen for God's voice, it will capture you. You will have hope beyond measure. And so inside of you, you know this is going to happen, but it's impossible, God. How can it happen? Oh, God can make it happen. He can bring the, dry, the valley of dry bones to life. That's what God is fighting for America about. Who, who can make life come from nothing? God can. So what does God want to create? I, I believe a radical cure is coming for a radical sickness. And I'm not talking about the virus. I'm talking about the virus of the soul. I believe God is bringing a radical cure for a radical sickness in America. The death of souls. Listen, people, if 25 million of us were saved during the Jesus people era, what... How much more does God want to do now? At that point in history, we had 200 million people in America. 25 million of them were saved. 
How many of you were born again to Jesus between the years of 1965 to 1980? Would you stand? I want to, I want to see who you, you were. You were part of the Jesus people move. You guys came in because God decided to grab a hold of you. Look at that. Praise God. Now, God's coming, Jesus' coming now is not just a blessing but a terrifying occurrence too. God wants to imbue all of us with his own power to perform notable miracles. He wants, us to, he wants to give us power to speak with irresistible force. Can I just say, it's not just the preachers God wants to give power to, it's the whole congregation of God. It's every believer. We're the priesthood of all believers. Everyone in this, in this room is in full-time ministry. Did you know that? Oh, really, Pastor Ken? <laughs> you better teach me all that. I will. <laughs> right now, we are living an unfulfilled destiny. But God keeps that destiny ready for us. The Lord wants to, us overtaken by dual emotions, by two kinds of emotions. He wants us to have the emotion of unshakable expectation that something is coming. But he also wants us to have this emotion or a reverential fear that we might miss it. That's what I've had. I've had from the moment God got a hold of me, God got a hold of me with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1973, I've had this sense, I don't want to miss what you're doing, God. So I keep praying, Lord, don't let me miss it. I want to be at the very forefront of what you're doing whenever it happens. And so that's what, what we have had in this house. You're a part of a people whom God has set apart to do special things. It doesn't mean you're special. It just means you're special to God. My kids are saying amen to that. So the time is now. Ian Bounds said this. He said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men and women. He does not come on machinery, but on men and women. He does not anoint plans, but men and women of prayer. America is sinking. The church at the present time, I'm not talking about what's going to happen, but the church at the present time, is the best party on the deck of the Titanic. We've lost something. We've got to get it back. I'm hoping that now the locomotive of destiny, as we've seen the shift, is barreling toward us and is carrying a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit like we've never seen before. You've got to get ready for it. What if, what if we could see millions of lost souls swept into the kingdom? What if we had to have services every night because there was not enough room? What if we had to have 10 services a day because of the amount of people coming to see Jesus? Come on, get out of your, 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 your compliance. Get out of your passivity. Let's move into the things of God. Let's do what God wants. We. Listen, you've been called to penetrate culture. You've not been called to adhere to culture, but to penetrate culture. I, I said this to the interns this week. 
I said this to the, if you're on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? All of this happened in the last century during Azusa Street. There was great destruction happening in America. Do you know during, during Azusa Street was when the earthquake happened in San Francisco and the Great Fire? They thought the world was coming to an end. Do you know that awakenings do not begin in times of enlightened morality, prosperity, and peace? They come when humanity rise in the depths of depravity. They come in the shadow of wars and convulsions of nature and of pandemics. They come when society has gorged itself in pleasure and drains itself in dark pursuits. Revivals come to those most cruelly vexed by the culture. Cultural change seems to always fall on the backs of youth. I believe there's a revival coming among the youth of our nation and our church. A.C. Valdez was a man, a young man, during the Azusa Street awakening in Los Angeles. He said this, all the, he's, he was saying this prophesying a future move of God. He said, all the electrifying adjectives in the dictionary shaken together, pressed down and running over will not begin to describe the soon to come greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit of all times. What the Bible calls the latter rain. You're going to see lay members carry out an amazing ministry through gifts of the Holy Spirit. There will be wholesale cures of incurable conditions, healing of the blind, deaf, dumb, and handicapped, and creative miracles that will strain the imagination. For those born without eyes, ears, fingers, arms, or legs, or those who lost them through disease or accidents, God will make new ones. Many astonishing miracles will happen to bring on an international Christian breakthrough. Come on. The very things that we say make it impossible to have revival actually play into God's, land, God's hands to make revival. Well, let me give you four things and I'll close. You still with me? There's four factors that, if you're not even hearing God right now, listen, how many have heard God say something about, I'm doing something, or I'm moving, or revival's coming, or an awakening? How many of you have, have, have heard that? Have you heard it? If you haven't, take these factors and mix them together with what we're saying. The first one is what I call the hurricane factor. You know, scientists predict hurricanes, predict hurricanes by detecting the opposite of a hurricane. They see air pressure falling, which creates a vacuum over the ocean. They know nature always rushes in to fill a void or a vacuum. I'm, that's when hurricanes begin. Let me apply it. When university professors spiritually starve students, they think they're churning out atheists. But instead, they may be creating future revivalists. When one suppresses spiritual hunger, they can actually intensify the hunger. Because you know what they're looking for? They're looking for purpose and they're looking for God. That's why so many revivals have started on college campuses. The Jesus people started that way. I was in the middle of it. I was in, on, in college during that time. The second factor is the 
So we have the hurricane factor where things are going so bad, you think, what is happening to our nation? Oh, it's just working into the hand of God. The second thing is the Saul of Tarsus factor. Our youth are going to extremes with drugs and violence and perversion. They're wily embracing socialism and, and protesting violently. Yet their bizarre behavior is itself a sign. For Acts 26, 14 says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. What does that mean, to kick against the goads? It was a common expression which referred to farmers using a sharp pointed stick to goad a stubborn ox into motion. The ox wants to go one way, but the sharp stick is goading it the other way. He's fighting his own destiny. Saul's destiny, because this is in reference to Saul, Saul's destiny kept prodding him and he reacted becoming, by becoming more violent and zealous and kicking against the goat of his destiny. Those young men and women out there who are violent, who are in riots and going on and on with all the things happening, they're just, they're just wrestling against the goat of God. And when God begins to come down, they will probably be the first ones who will come into the kingdom of God. They will be they will be saved and transformed. They're, they're goaded because of their destiny. They know something's greater. They know there's something before them, but they don't know what it is. So they get involved in more bizarre and extreme behavior. The third factor is Satan overplaying his hand. He always does it. He can't help himself. Americans are in a deep season of deep despair, drug addiction, deep loneliness. For the first time since 1963, the life expectancy of Americans has declined two years in a row. Satan is taking an emotional toll on Americans. He makes them miserable and plunges them into despair. And in the process, he drives his victims to actually cry out to God for deliverance. That's what he does, he overplays his hand. Satan actually sabotages his own plans by going too far. And the last thing is this. Are you still with me? The last thing is, it's the God time factor. You know what I tell people? They say, Pastor Ken, it's getting so bad. What are we going to do? I said, we got God. We got the God factor. No one else. The, the enemy doesn't have the God factor. We have the God factor. And if God says it's time, who's going to stop him? Come on. Acts 1-7, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. The times and events are set by God. And how dare we ignore the factors that I just talked about that come before an awakening. Luke 12, 54 says, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather, and there is. And then Jesus says, hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you did not discern this time? I'm, I'm, I'll close with this. We've seen all the things happen, from pandemics to riots to whatever. I'm going to give an example here, and I believe that we're, we're going to close in a few minutes. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God to give us a next step. I personally believe that God is setting everything up for the greatest move that he's ever had on the face of the earth. And all the factors I just will go in to prove that, but the greatest factor is God has spoken, it's time. Now, I'm, I'm just gonna tell you this, I think California may be the greatest revival center in the nation. You know why? Because everything is going crazy there. 
How many of you have moved here from California? Look at all those hands, okay? Welcome. Uh, but just tell your family to wait a little while, okay? I believe, now hear me out, I'm prophesying this. I believe that California is not a lost ca cause. Even with all their problems, it could be one of the best prepared fields anywhere in the world. We sent out a team to start a church, South Orange County, Ocean Street. They're doing great. All these other churches are shut down. They're having church like crazy. And I believe all four, all four of these factors are at work, not only in California, but across the nation. Apocalyptic fires, extreme forms of behavior, radical opposition to God, and massive emotional problems, they all point to a hurricane. So what do you do when a hurricane's approaching? You get prepared. You get ready. Church, we need to get ready. I'm not talking about just storing up food. <laughs> I'm not just talking about doing natural things. I'm talking about doing spiritual things. Get your life ready. Get ready to handle the greatest influx of people into the house of God we've ever seen in the world's history. The Bible prophesies it, says, in the last day will come the greatest harvest. But I'm telling you, can I, and I don't have time to tell you this, I have to end right here. But the problem in the church, according to Matthew chapter 24, the greatest problem is deception. But it says this, even the very elect will be deceived. Unless you have a house, you're in the word, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you don't have one of those three factors in your life, you better get it fast because deception will come. Okay, I guess I'm done. Uh, let me end with this scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's what we need. You need to get filled with the Spirit. You need to be a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you're at. We need to insert ourselves into culture and change it. That was good, Pastor Ken. That was good. Now, uh, now I, I tried to share with you. We, it, this church has been on a 40-year jaunt, in a sense, 40 years. I can give you a few more things, but I don't have time. 40 years in which we've sown, which we've, and I'm telling you, we cannot grow weary in well-doing now. When it's about our time to see the greatest event of all history, I'm telling you, by the end of you, you watch, you're gonna see some of the greatest miracles. They're about to happen. I hear it and I just smell it and I see it and I, I have, I'm a prisoner of hope because God spoke it into my heart. And so what, what I'm doing right now, I'm just believing that that God will do amazing things in this day, and we've got to stay the course. We cannot give up. And can I tell you as believers what you cannot do? See, what the enemy tries to do in the culture, he will try to do in the church. He'll try to divide us. He'll try to, try to get us to talk against each other. He'll try to, get, to sow discord among the brethren. He'll try to get us out of the move of God any way possible you got to hold on God's word and God's spirit 
and we're going to see the greatest thing. Do not, I'm telling you, don't give in to the lies of the enemy. He's a liar and a liar from the beginning. According to John chapter 8, he's the father of lies. So you know what happened? You know what I say? He, he, he doesn't lie to me anymore because he, every time he would lie to me in days past, I just say, that's a lie because it's you, Satan. And I just believe the opposite. Whatever he says to me, I believe the opposite because he's a liar. Just a little key, a little hint. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I'm, I'm praying today that there would be a, a seed planted in our hearts that would change everything. Lord, I, I pray that you would motivate us, you would cause a passion to come into us that would, that would change our, our intentions, that would change our motives, that would change our destiny, that would change our actions. Lord, move in us today. Let this be a Sunday that we will say, I remember that Sunday, October 4th, 2020. I remember that Sunday God spoke to me in such a real way. And it changed me. Lord, I'm praying right now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit to come to every person in this room. Make a way, Lord, make a way. Now with your heads bowed, eyes closed, I, I believe there, there are several people here today. You came to church and you know that your relationship with God isn't right. Maybe you knew him in past days. Maybe you had this a, a great opportunity with him, and but something's gone haywire. Or maybe you've never really committed. But today you want to make it real with Jesus. If that's you on the count of three, just raise your hand. All I want to do is pray for you. One, two, three. Just lift your hand right now. Lift it. Keep it up. Let me see. Just one, two. Anybody else? Three, four. Anyone else? Five, six, seven. Anybody else? Eight, nine, ten. Come on. Eleven, twelve. You may put your hands down. Okay, church, everybody, let's pray this prayer with those that say, I want to I wanna be a part of God's kingdom. Pray this with me. Dear Father, I give you my life. I commit everything to you. I make you the Lord of my life. I believe in my heart, and I confess with my mouth that you're my Savior. Change me. Make me brand new. Cleanse me by the blood of Jesus and place me in your house and in your kingdom and make me a part of your great army. I receive your grace, Jesus' name.